Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 62, The Diplomat. Hello everyone and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I am your host, Nick Mashinsky. This is your final reminder to get me your questions about the Inca. By the time of this episode's release, you will have only a week to get your questions in. Twitter, Facebook, Mastodon, email, carrier pigeon, smoke signals, however you get your question in, it does not matter. Just get them in. I look forward to reading them. Now then, in our last episode, we talked about Sari Tupac. He came to power after Manco Inca's murder. And when I say came to power, I mean he was the heir, but he was too young to actually rule. Instead, a regency council was placed over him, and it ruled for him for a majority of his reign. Despite having Paulu in hand, the Spanish were keen on getting the Inca out of Vilcabamba. Eventually, after offering several estates to him, Sari Tupac left the jungle and would be baptized. His easy life would be short-lived, though, as he would die just a few years later. The Spanish thought they had solved the Inca problem. The Sapa Inca had left Vilcabamba willingly. There shouldn't be anyone left to lead any remnant Inca state. Then the raids began once again. Enjoy. Titu Kuzi Yupanqui was born around 1530 in Cuzco and would live in the capital until his father Manco Inca left for his hunting trip. After the failed siege of Cuzco, Titu would travel with his family into the jungle of Vilcabamba, but he was captured by the Spanish when he was seven years old. The young Inca would live once again in Cuzco with Pedro de Oñete, an Inca and friend of Manco Inca. In fact, the Sapa Inca would send a message to Oñate thanking him for taking care of the boy. Not much is known about the time Titu lived in Cuzco, if he picked up any Spanish at all. But being of the Inca nobility and still just a child, he would have been well cared for. However, in 1542, at the age of 12, Tidu was once again abducted. This time, it would be by his father's own men, who whisked the young Inca back to Vilcabamba. There, Tidu would stay and observe his father for three more years, until that fateful game of Haron. Now, Titu Kuzi Yupanqui's mother was not the primary Koya, and he was also too young to rule in his own right, even if he had been older than Sari Tupac. But because a regency was necessary no matter what, the son of the primary Koya was chosen as heir, Sari Tupac. When Sari Tupac left Vilcabamba in 1556, 
there were some more militarily-minded regents who were happy to see the Inca go. They believed that Seri Tupac didn't possess the will that was necessary to carry out a continued resistance. And as evidenced by the Inca's decision to leave Vilcabamba, they were right. Seri Tupac still had a little brother in Vilcabamba who shared the same mother, but the boy was far too young to rule. Meanwhile, Titu Kuziupanki was old enough and the most capable enough to be selected as the next Sapa Inca. Though if you read Titu's own account, he claims that Manco Inca actually named him heir while the Sapa Inca was on his deathbed. However, Titu later admits that he ruled by merit rather than blood. With Seri Tupac dead and the raids from Vilcabamba occurring, the Spanish realized that there was still work to be done. Oh, only if they knew. Pollo de Andegardo was the corregidor of Cusco at the time of Seri Tupac's death and sent an embassy to Vilcabamba immediately. Word had spread of the Inca's death, and the Spanish wanted to dispel any rumors that there was foul play on their part. So the embassy claimed that Seri Tupac died of natural causes, which may have been true. We really don't know. This embassy, which included Juan de Batanzos, Martin Pando, and likely some others, attempted to persuade Titu to come down from Vilcabamba, no doubt offering estates and other bribes. But the Inca was not having it. In fact, the Inca decided that Pando, who was mestizo and knew Spanish and Quechua, might be very beneficial to have around. And so Pando was convinced to stay and would go on to be Titu Kuziupanqui's closest advisor. Back in Lima, a new viceroy came from Spain. I'm not going to trouble you with his name because he will die suddenly, but he proposed that Titu's son, Quispe Titu, marry Seri Tupac's only daughter, Beatrice. Now Beatrice was set to inherit all of her father's estates when she came of age, making her one of the richest people in Peru. However, due to the Viceroy's untimely demise, the offer fell through. And now, I will introduce a Viceroy whose name I will tell you, Garcia de Castro. Castro would swoop in and present to Titu the same offer as the previous Viceroy. When this embassy returned in April 1565, a counteroffer was proposed, a cash payment for the Inca emerging from Vilcabamba. It turns out that Seri Tupac had spent 10,000 pesos just for traveling to Lima from Vilcabamba. Titu wanted to be compensated for such a traveling expense. Cusco sent its own embassy as well in 1565. The corregidor at the time was Juan de Matienzo. For this meeting, 
Tito Cusiupanqui actually met the Spaniard in mid-June at the bridge of Chokichaca, the de facto gateway to the Vilcabamba region. I have few details of the meeting, but I can only picture it as tense. Both men are said to have been armed and stood alone talking, one-on-one, on the bridge. We are told that Tito Cusi launched into a tearful account of the abuses that had forced his father, Manco, into rebellion, and explained why the poverty of the Vilcabamba area had forced his followers to raid into Spanish-occupied Peru. At the conclusion of the meeting, Tito agreed to accept a Spanish corregidor and priest into Vilcabamba, that he would go on to live in Cusco, and that his son, Quispe Tito, would be baptized and marry Beatrice Coya and inherit her estates. In addition to this, the Sapa Inca would get 5,000 pesos a year for the rest of his life, along with two towns as an encomienda. Of course, nothing was final until a treaty was signed, and the Spanish were eager to press on with this agreement. Of course, with Tito Cusiupanqui's ascension, came an increase of raids on the Capacnan. The Inca had to show that his state was still a military force to deal with, and prove to his supporters that they had made the correct choice in elevating him to the fringe. However, there was a lot more than just raids occurring in the Andes. Further south in Chile, an uprising took place that necessitated a response with Spanish troops. Castro suspected that the Inca had a hand in this rebellion. Meanwhile, at the same time in Shasha, an arms factory was discovered making pikes, battle axes, and other weapons. In addition to weapons, a large amount of food was being prepared for immediate consumption. Interviews uncovered maps showing ex- interviews uncovered maps showing escape routes from Shasha to Vilcabamba, supporting the argument that this arms factory was part of a planned plot connected to the Inca. The local Caraca, who claimed that the arms were for the Spanish in their fight against the rebels in Chile, was arrested. The discovery of the arms factory terrified Castro, though. The indigenous populations were learning how to ride and shoot, something we saw Manco Inca do during his lifetime. But also the type of weaponry that was being crafted scared the Spaniard, Pikes were ideal for stopping a cavalry charge, an advantage, an advantage the Spanish still held over the native forces. Lastly, there was the Taki Ankoy, or dancing sickness, that was spreading over the Andes during the mid-1560s. Taki Ankoy was a religious movement that saw indigenous populations turn their backs to Christianity and return to their traditional beliefs. Priests and preachers went around saying how the wakas were all drying up and their spirits were flying through the air because there weren't any sacrifices for them. 
Some people trembled or danced at these preachings as if they were being possessed by the wakas. Generally speaking, it was believed that the time was near for Christianity and the Spanish to be overthrown. Given the uprising in Chile and the arms factory in Shasha, there was some backing to this belief. However, though contemporaries believed that Taki Ankoy originated in Vilcabamba, modern-day scholars disagree. There was no central leadership to the movement and no evidence that the Inca were leading it. It was a decentralized spiritual rebellion to early colonial rule. But at the time, it really worried the Spanish, who would send out priests to combat the movement and destroy whatever wakas they could. Clearly, the network that ran out of Vilcabamba was extensive. Manco Inca had been able to keep tabs on resistance efforts during his reign, but also slipped people in and out of Cusco, as evident by Tito Cusiupanqui's abduction. The combination of military plots and the resurgence of the native religion scared the viceroy. It added pressure to the negotiations and made creating some sort of agreement with the Inca all the more urgent for the Spanish. The Inca had a lot riding on these negotiations as well. Tito Cusiupanqui was very worried about a military response from the Spanish. Though his state was well organized and connected, it was short of manpower. Disease still ravaged the indigenous population, and life in the hot, humid jungle was difficult. Though the jungle was a great defense and gained the aura, and had gained the aura of impenetrability over the past few decades, Tito knew that they could not sustain a long conflict against the Spanish. But Dinka also knew that he couldn't simply come down from Vilcabamba as Seri had. No, Dinka had to appear threatening in some ways, but also appeal to Spanish sympathies, which were high under Emperor Charles V, as well as his successor, King Philip II. If Tito could play his cards right and bide for time, perhaps the Inca would find its place as a formally recognized state. So the Inca complied with some of the Spanish requests during this time, such as lessening some attacks and returning some prisoners, but he would tactfully ignore or delay acquiescing to others. The result of all these embassies and negotiations was the Treaty of Acobamba, which was signed on August 24, 1566. As part of the treaty, the Inca and his captains were forgiven for any past crimes. Quispe Titu would marry his cousin Beatrice after converting to Christianity and inherit her father's estates. Titu Kuziupanqui would receive 3,500 pesos annually and be allowed to stay in Vilcabamba, holding it as an encomienda. No fugitives were allowed to be received from each other's lands, 
but the Inca insisted that those who had already fled to Vilcabamba to be permitted to remain. In addition to these terms, Titu agreed to accept missionaries and a Spanish corregidor. And finally, the Inca were to cause no further damage to Spanish territory. In other words, all raiding must cease. Continuing to raid would result in war. Castro would have the fugitive clause changed and include that the Inca had to provide men and arms for royal service if necessary. The treaty was then ratified by the Viceroy on October 14, 1566. The Inca then signed on with these changes. Needless to say, Castro was elated, and I imagine that Tito Kuziupanqui was somewhat pleased as well. He now had a formal state, though it was a vassal to the Spanish. In 1568, missionaries would arrive in Vilcabamba, and they would baptize Quispe Titu, as well as Titu Cusiupanqui, who took the name Diego de Castro, in honor of the Viceroy. Though he did not preside over the baptism of the Inca, Marcos Garcia was the missionary designated to stay in Vilcabamba. If you remember, in episode 57, Vilcabamba, I mentioned one building that was tiled, and had a different layout than the rest. The possible church? It may have been the very building Marcos Garcia would use to convert the residents of Vilcabamba. For his part, though, Tito Cusiupanqui refused to allow Christianity to replace Inca beliefs. Inti and Christ would have to coexist. In fact, it is a modern understanding that Tito's conversion was simply a diplomatic ploy. Titu did it simply to uphold his end of the treaty. But it was all for show. Meanwhile, he would continue to keep multiple wives and allow those in Vilcabamba to choose which religion to follow. In late 1569 or early 1570, Garcia de Castro left Peru after being recalled by the crown. Tito Cusiupanqui sent a farewell letter to the viceroy. In addition to the letter, the Inca dictated his account of the Spanish conquest of Peru to Martin Pando, who then translated it to Marcus Garcia to write down. The work is addressed to King Philip II in order to appeal to the monarch's sympathies for the Inca. Also in the account was a statement giving Castro the power of attorney over Titu's interests. Clearly, the years of negotiating and corresponding had left an impression on the Inca, and the Spaniard had earned his trust. Back in 1565, Titu Cusiupanqui is described as very able and larger than others around him. He had some circular scars on his face, evidence that Titu had smallpox at one point in his life. The Inca could be excited and emotional, switching from anger to lightheartedness quickly. We can also see the Inca as thoughtful and tolerant. Titu recognized the necessity of talking to the Spanish and negotiating with them, and was more open-minded 
than perhaps some of his more militant followers. And though Titu Kuziupanki respected Spanish piety, he feared their greed. In 1570, a Spanish prospector named Romero asked permission to search for gold in the area. To the Inca's surprise, the prospector found a vein of gold and asked permission to mine more, assuming Titu would be thrilled at the discovery. However, Titu only thought of more Spaniards moving into the area and threatening the Inca's existence. At the risk of war, the Sapa Inca ordered the prospector killed and kept his murder hidden for years. Titu would continue to protect the state's interest by keeping any Spanish colonists and traders at arm's length. The Inca's fear was that if someone from Vilcabamba killed a Spaniard, it would invite war. So Titu refused requests to trade timber and coca in an effort to prevent any conflict from erupting. Hemming describes Titu Kuziupanki's interaction with the Spanish in phases. First was raiding and active resistance. Second was negotiating for items and estates. And finally was negotiating for a coexistence. And finally was negotiating for a coexistence. The evolution of these phases may have been thanks to Martin Pando, who was always advising the Inca during negotiations, and it resulted in missionaries, correspondence with governors and the king. It even culminated in a vassal state. Tito did a great job of stringing the Spanish along over the years, giving them hope and then seemingly curbing their expectations. All the while, Tito was buying time and gaining more favorable terms for himself and his fellow Inca in Vilcabamba. But with Castro leaving, a new viceroy was coming. This one was more capable than his predecessors. In fact, he would reshape the Andes and leave an impact that can be felt to this day. His name, Francisco de Toledo. Toledo.